0: Here. we are uh, welcome we're we're talking about daring faith around here a lot and it's just about what, what is it god wants you to step out and do we had a advanced commitment night uh on friday night at the chicago Sport, motor speedway we wanted to show you some pictures so cool we had the infield had a tent set up had worship out there um i uh stripped down and did my ricky bobby impression and ran around like i was on fire and you know, help me, help me, Oprah, help me. I'm sorry, it's one of my favorite movies. Anyway, we, uh, we, we were out there, we had a blast. Uh, we also had a special guest with us. Here's my picture. Um, this is Annette Canale. She's been a member of our church for 60 years, six zero years, okay? <laughs> 60 years. years. And I bring that up because um, the reason we're having this Daring Faith initiative, this thing that we're doing right now, <clears throat> is because our church is 65 years old. I know uh, most of you have not been around, none of us have been around that long, uh, and that's the longest member we've got, but we've got to decide something at 65, right? Are we going to retire or are we not? Are, are we going to just kick back and not do anything anymore, <clears throat> or are we going to keep moving forward? Kobe Bryant, you know, retired this week, God bless him. Dosecki's guy went up in a, you know into space, he's gone, he, he retired, and, and, and at some point we do all get you know kind of tired and, and old, signs you are old, when you can't find your reading glasses because they're on top of your head, you've given up holding in your stomach when an attractive person walks into the room, when, when you're proud of your lawnmower, it's a Toro right there, boy. You still prefer to print out directions on MapQuest so you don't have to squint at them on your iPhone. Love that. Sing along with elevator music because you know it. People call at 9 p.m. and ask, Did I wake you? Your best friend is dating someone half his age but not breaking any laws. Uh, you know. Um, I'm so old that I have actually dialed a rotary phone before while listening to a Walkman next to a black and white TV with aluminum foil on its rabbit ears. All right, let me see it, right? I mean, it does suck to get old. We got to be—we got to admit it. You know, you're growing old when happy hour is a nap. Okay, that—I get that. Okay, I get that. But, but the deal is, we've got to decide as a church if we're going to grow old and, and just, you know, retire and not do anything anymore or if we're going to keep pressing forward. And I want to encourage you all to get a Daring Faith book. Um, th- this, is, uh, this is a little bit about what our initiative is all about, this Daring Faith Generosity Initiative. We've got them on for you on the way out. I'd love for you to have one so you know a little bit more about what's going on around here. You can also download it online. What, we're, what this means for us is we're taking a daring step of faith as a church. And we're not going to retire. We're going to raise our generosity so that we can do more things. If you're visiting with us, we're glad to have you here. Um, You walked in on a family discussion. We're having a family discussion around here for a couple of weeks. And I hope it will give you the vision for what what it is that we're doing. And the big news really is we're pregnant. As a family, we're pregnant. We're putting a campus in New Lenox. By Christmas of next year, the timing's just about right, okay? We're, we're going to p- plant a campus in New Lenox. We're going to have a baby. It will be a Parkview campus in New Lenox. It's on the corner of Schoolhouse and Laraway Road, catty corner from the Jewel Osco, across the, just across the street from where the Howe Airport used to be. Uh, you can see them moving dirt. We're not right on Laraway. We're one lot off of Laraway, and we will be building that campus, and it will be open a- at Christmas of this year. We're already working on it, and we're excited. We're also going to be uh, planting a church in the Dominican Republic, and we're planting this church in the regions where they grow tobacco. Of Dominican Republic. And why do I say that? Because a lot of churches are afraid to go in there because they're like, oh, they grow, you know, they grow tobacco. We shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be encouraging that. Well, well, they got to do what they got to do. And we're going to go in there and plant a church. We're also planting a church in Brazil as a part of this initiative, where they're having the Olympics and hopefully a safe house to go along with it. That's what we're working on. We have work in Kenya that we need to do, and we need, we're going to give more money to be able to do that. And then we have this Malawi peace plan, third poorest country in Africa. We have adopted. For every month, for the last four months, we've had a pastor from our staff training two to three hundred pastors in Malawi in uh, purpose-driven principles from, uh, from Saddleback Church, just some basic general discipleship stuff. In September, I go back. We have a big graduation for all these pastors. We launch them to go back into their churches to do this stuff. And then that's where we are going to get involved. And we don't know exactly what that means yet. So that's why we kind of haven't, you know, we, we don't really have a plan of what the money is. We're just going to set some of money aside, some of the generosity money that we have right now. We're going to set it aside so that we're ready to go. I, I don't know if you know the, the history of Parkview or not. Um, Parkview was, uh, like I said, 65 years old. Started in... Uh, a storefront and then and then the old Zion Lutheran building that's still a museum over in Old Tenley is where they met for a long time. Then they moved over to to uh, 84th Avenue in 1974 and they built a building and they were there. And when I got here and my wife and I got here in January of 1990 they were there. Um, it's a good church. They were, they were doing a lot of good mission things. There was a lot of things happening that were positive, but they weren't reaching anybody. They hadn't grown. They hadn't really done uh, anything outside of their walls for a while. And uh, so I came along, and I wasn't happy to do that. I was 28 years old. I wasn't, I wasn't okay with that. So I came along, and i like, look, we got to reach our community. we gotta, we got we to do what the church is supposed to do. And there were a group of people in the church that thought, yeah, let's, let's go. Let's do that. Let's have daring faith. Let's have a vision. And there were a group of people in the church that— They said they wanted to do that, but in reality, they didn't want to make the changes necessary to make that happen, and um, so they didn't like me very much. Um, One of the things you'll find out about me is that if God's telling me to do something, I don't really care what people think. So here's how it went, 1989 to 1999. Here's the growth chart, okay? Um, Average weekly attendance, we grew. I mean, we grew slowly, but we grew, and what's interesting about that stat is that Um, that probably put us in the top 10% of churches in the country as far as growth. It might have been 5% of churches in the country. If you're growing, here's the sad thing. If you're growing by 0.001% a year as a church, you're in the top 20% of churches in the country because 80% are stagnant or declining. At least we were heading in the right direction, you know, at least we were doing something. And I think that helped us. I I think it helped me. It's hard to be mad at me if I just baptize your neighbors, you know, unless you hate your neighbors and then you're not a Christian. So Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. So I didn't really care. But there was a pivotal moment seven years in, 1997, when the church was divided still. I mean, after seven years of my brilliant leadership, still... uh, still, we still really weren't where we ought to be. And I made a lot of mistakes and I was young, impulsive. I mean, imagine me now, like way back then, you know, 19 years ago. Um, and so we decided that if we were going to be able to be effective as a church, we were going to have to relocate. That was the only way it was going to work is to relocate. So we took a vote and almost half the people said, no, we're not moving. Um, but we had a godly eldership, godly leadership at that point that said, you know what, this is what God wants us to do, and we pushed ahead and we did it. All we needed was 51%, we got fifty-four, so we went. We we, we went forward, we raised funds, we bought land, and aren't you glad we did? Mm-hmm. I hope more than fifty-four percent are with me this time. Here's the attendance chart from 2000 to 2015. We became one of the fastest growing churches in the country most of those years along the way. It took a lot of vision. It took a lot of faith. We had to raise funds. We had to do a lot of things. So the troubling thing that you are probably already noticing about this graph, troubling thing to a person like me, is the last year we had the first down year we've ever had in my 26 years. And we started figuring out, you know, what, what's going on with that? What, what's happening? And we, and we realized that we needed room, you know. Uh, we had so we started uh, another service we were running five services but we started the sixth service and we moved our Lockport campus to homer and that's really helped us and we're on we're we're going again but what we're realizing is that we can't move forward unless we make something happen and i'm not ready for my lift chair from walgreens yet i don't know about you um, m- maybe, you know, this is kind of bouncy, so that helps me. I, I-, I feel that, but I'm not going to let it happen, and here's why. Again, you've seen me do this, I'm going to do it every week during this Daring Faith. The population of the world has more than doubled since I've been alive. I don't know why God had me born as, a, you know, the end of the baby boom, 1961, but the population was three billion people when I was born. It is now 7.4 billion people. So at some point, I've got to ask myself, why does God have me be here during this time? You know, I mean, why, uh, why, am I not, why was I not a pastor in the 1700s or the 1200s or the 2200s or some other time? It's right now, why am I here? And it's because I believe God wants me to do something. He wants me to be as effective as I possibly can. In 1997, 300 people gave over a million dollars so we could buy property. Here's a picture of the, it took us four years to find the property. There's our building dedication in uh, 2001. Some of our great people that are still around here that are helping us in many different ways. Part of that in 2001. Okay, so we moved in to this little building over here that's now our kids area. And in 2004, we dedicated this property in Orland Park that you're sitting at right now. This property right here was dedicated. And then here's a picture of the finished building. Um, once we got it done in 2004, and we moved in over here and we thought, "Oh, this is great. We got all the room we need. We, we only had to have three services, and we still had room in those three services, and we thought everything was going to be great. The first campaign that we did to raise money was uh, was called the uh, Ministry for the New Millennium in 1997, as we were all thinking about what the 2000s were going to be like. And then we did time to grow in 2004 so that we could grow, and we could build this, and we thought, this is really awesome. Then in 2008, we realized we had more to do, so we did another generosity initiative called The Great Investment, where we uh, completely transitioned our kids' space. Uh, It's just amazing to me to think about this building that we dreamed about, and we were so excited about building this this first phase of this building over here, and we thought all our problems were going to be over when we built that building. That is now our children's ministry for third grade and under. That's all that can fit in there now. It's amazing to see what God has done. We also were able to add a campus, a multi-site in Lockport. And um, we were able to finish the student area at Orland. If you haven't seen that, um, you got to wander down there at some point and see our, our great student area here and add parking and everything else that we did along the way and plant churches and, and build schools and, and the things that we did. In 2011, we came along with our fourth generosity initiative. We call it Cannonball. A cannonball like you jump in and do a cannonball and grab both your legs and lean back and make a big splash and get everybody wet. Because we wanted to make a bigger splash in 2011. And we did. We raised funds to be able to build a chapel where we have, because we just had no place to do weddings and funerals that made any sense. And we are now booked out all the time in there, and we use it for a whole lot of other things, and it's fantastic, and more space for our people to come and go. And we added services, and, and we've continued to, to, and we did some more work at Lockport and all those things. We also had, one of our members had a vision birthed in him by God to start a safe house in Chicago, a safe house for sex-traffic girls. We prayed about that, and we raised funds for that, and, um, and he got other churches involved. It's not just our church's safe house. He got other churches involved, and we committed money from Cannonball, and God gave us a $4 million house from God's resources, because he can do that if he wants. And there's now Safe House, the only safe house for sex traffic girls in Chicago that is a part of what we do as a church. And there are five girls in there as we speak. <laughs> Why? Because one guy had daring faith and said, let's do this. And because one church said, let's do this. And we invited other churches and they did. We also started a school in Turkana, Kenya, uh, which is like the most remote area you've ever seen in your life. And they got a school there, and we dug wells, and we sponsor 300 kids there, and they learn about Jesus. And even though we didn't know it at the time, because we had enough resources set back for our next campus, we were able to get this Homer Glen campus thing. We took uh, the church that was meeting in a a building that was basically worth a million dollars in Lockport, and we moved them to a building that was worth $10 million in Homer Glen, and they have almost doubled because they have more space, and they will continue to grow once we can add more parking, which is part of what this is all about. And and, and what I'm saying is all, all these things have happened for you. Okay, We did all this for you. And now what I'm saying is that it's your turn, and my turn again, to do it for the people who aren't yet here. Let me just ask you a question. Raise your hand if you've come to this church since 2011. Raise your hand. All right. Look around. It's a bunch of you. I'm not saying that you wouldn't have been able to be here. We already had a building. We've been adding services. We've done all this. What I'm saying is that people did it for us. Okay? And now it's time to go forward. To theological convictions. One is that God is the owner of everything, and when he calls me to action, he will, he will bless me as I do it. He'll give us the house for the saved house. He'll give me resources. He'll give me blessings. Uh, this is what I believe more than anything else in my life. You will be made rich in every way when you have daring faith, the Bible says, so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. It's, not gonna, it's no praise to me, no praise to us, just God. But I have been made rich in every way. This is a matter of fact, this is my fifth, if you had not kept track, this is my fifth generosity initiative at this church. And every time we do one of these, I get up and I say, all right, everybody, it's time to do a once in a lifetime gift for God. This is my fifth annual once in a lifetime gift for God. (laughs) And my wife and I have sacrificed for you and so have a lot of other people. And we could have done other things with the money, but we never missed a dime because God has, as promised, made us rich in every way. And we are. And I'm telling you right now, I can't wait to come up with a reason for the sixth largest once in a lifetime gift I've ever made. Because I can't outgive God. Yes, we want to go north. We're going to find a place north. We're trying. Pray for that. Here's what the Bible says. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer, and another withholds what he should give and only suffers one. I've seen that happen in my life. I've seen that happen over and over. Okay. Second theological conviction, I worded it a little different. You're going to hear it over and over again, is that people are lost without Jesus, and he left me here to bring heaven to earth and take earth people to heaven. I'm supposed to bring heaven to earth okay, and take earth to heaven. What I mean? Jesus said, we should pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means we help the poor. That means we build churches in other lands. That means we do things to help other people, and we make the world a better place now. But at the end of the day, we've all got to go somewhere, and we've got to make sure we're taking everybody to heaven. People love a lot of things, okay? Some of, you know, some people, I mean, we love the Blackhawks, right? Come on, let's, let's, let's get this going. We can do this, right? And some of you, some of you love the Cubs, right? Go ahead, some of you love, some of you love the Socks. All right. Some of you love dogs. Some of you love cats. Three ladies, that's what I thought, okay, listen. I knew I needed a little break right here cuz I'm unpacking really quickly on your brain. So, take a break here. I don't know why this is making its way back around the internet, but here ladies and gentlemen is the worst E-harmony biographical video ever made.
1: Hello. My name is Debbie. Um this is my first attempt, oops. Um at a E-harmony video. Um, this is my first time at online dating, so I'm nervous, but I'm excited at the same time. Um, so I'm just going to start talking about what I like and hope I get some replies. Um, so I am a recent um, MBA grad from Villanova. Um, I love cats. Um, I just, sorry, I'm getting emotional. I love cats. Um, I love every kind of cat. Sorry, I just, I really love
2: cats. And I just wanna hug all of them, but I can't, cause that's crazy, I can't hug every cat. <laughs> but I just want to, I want to. I want to, um, (laughs) I'm sorry, I just, I get, anytime I hear cat, I just,
1: I love cats, um, ooh, promised myself I wouldn't cry, um, so anyway, I am a cat lover, um, and I love to run,
2: I'm sorry, I'm thinking about cats again. (laughs) I just, I think about how many don't have a home and how I should have them and how cute they are and and their ears and the whiskers and the nose. I just love them and I want them and I want them in a basket and I want little bow ties I want them to be on a rainbow and just in my bed and I just want a house full of them and I just want to still roll around I can't I I can't
0: I'm uh I'm pretty sure she's still available so uh if anybody's interested, just, uh, there you go. <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's great to have hobbies. It's great. I, I love a lot of things too, but, but the, the thing that chokes me up like that, the thing, the thing that gets me like cats for her is this picture and, um, You've seen me use it a lot. This is a picture, a legitimate picture of the kids outside the gate in Nairobi that can't get into the school. I mean, it's not like we're keeping them out. We just don't have room. We didn't have room for them. We needed more room in the school. And those are the kids that are outside. Some of the kids got in. You sponsor a bunch of them, but some of them couldn't. And I got to tell you, that's what gets to me. Okay, because Jesus said that the whole idea of the church is that we're supposed to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's our job. We call that here at Parkview reaching, raising, and releasing. We reach people for Jesus, we raise them up as devoted followers of Jesus, and then we release them to go do ministry. That's what we do. I don't have the freedom to decide what the church does. I don't get to say, our church is going to be about the Blackhawks, or our church is going to be about cats. I don't get to do that, because this is a franchise. Do you understand that? When you sign up as a pastor, you sign up for a franchise. Like, if you bought a McDonald's, if you got McDonald's to give you the license to to put a, a McDonald's somewhere around here, you realize that you have to do things the way they want you to do them, or you can't call it McDonald's. You can't turn it into a bowling alley that serves tacos. As a matter of fact, you can't, even if you own a McDonald's franchise, you can't serve those nasty McRib sandwiches unless it's the time of year where they're serving the nasty McRib sandwiches. Because they get to tell you. It's the, it's the most brilliant thing, mark, marketing thing I've ever seen in my life. You take the absolute worst sandwich you could possibly ever eat, and, and you only make it available for a limited time. Everybody goes, oh, McRibs are back. That's awesome. I forgot how terrible they are. <laughs> but even if you own the franchise, you can't serve McRibs. Okay? Parkview is a franchise. Okay, I didn't come up with this idea. God did. It's his way of bringing heaven to earth and earth to heaven. I just signed up to run one, and I have to run his way. As a matter of fact, Jesus said... Even when he was here on earth, he said, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. That's what we're doing. So here's what we're going to do in daring faith. And I want to take you back to an Old Testament story. If you've got your iPhones or your Bibles, you can go back to Numbers 13 and 14. It is the biggest church choke in history. It is the biggest daring faith choke in human history. They're on the verge of going into the promised land. God has rescued them from Egypt, they've gone through the desert, and they're at this place where they're on the edge of the place that God has been telling them, this is where you're going to live. Okay? They send 12 spies in to go check it out. And the 12 spies come back with the report. They say, this is the land, and it's a metaphor maybe, but literally they called it the land of milk and honey. They said, this land is unbelievable. Stuff grows so amazing there. They said, we saw two guys carrying one cluster of grapes on a pole because it was too big for one person to hold on to. But the bad news is there are people there. (laughs) And the cities are big and they're well fortified. And the people are big. We don't know, again, if this is a metaphor or not, but it says, we felt like grasshoppers next to them. So, what do you think the people did? Did they say, oh, man, let's go get some of those grapes. Let's go get the milk and honey. Let's go do this thing that God has told us we were going to do. No, the people are like, what? No. No, we can't do it. Caleb's one of the good spies. Two spies came back, Joshua and Caleb, and said, this is good. Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, no, we can't. The ten guys said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. All night long they grumbled about it. Oh, we were better off back in the, other, in the old days. Let's go get somebody else to lead us. Go back to Egypt. And it says literally in verse 14, chapter 14, verse 10, the whole assembly talked about stoning them which is what happens when you're a leader and you tell everybody, hey, let's go do something for God. Sometimes people don't want to hear it. We stand on the threshold of another giant of a task, another initiative to go do more stuff for God, and we're going to need money to make it happen. So what are we going to do? Well, Here's some lessons that we learned from their negative experience. The first thing is we're going to focus on the vision, not the obstacles. They had victory right across the river. God was going to be with them, and they choked. And what gets me about this is that these people have seen the plagues. I mean, it it seems to me like if if you've seen the water turn to blood, and you've seen frogs, and you've seen gnats, and you've seen the, 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 the livestock all die, you've seen all those things, that you would believe that God could take you to do whatever else you wanted. You would think that if you walked through the Red Sea on dry land and then turned around and watched the Egyptian army get wiped out when God put the water back again, that you would have faith in a God that was going to be able to do more than you could ask or imagine. You would think, I mean, they had a pillar of fire by day and a cloud by night that was leading them through the desert. Literally, They're literally following a personification of God. And when they got hungry, God started sending bread from heaven that would just fall down every day. They would go out and they would gather up their bread. They called it manna. And then they got on the Atkins diet, and they were like, we need some meat. We need some protein. So God let, here's some quail. And, and he started giving them quail. Every morning they'd wake up, and there would be dead quail there for them to be able to roast and eat. And when they needed water, he said, Moses, strike the rock. And water came out. I mean, he just completely provided for them. Now they get up to the edge of the, of the promised land, and they choke. But then again, what would you have done? I mean, what, what would I have done? I mean, uh, this picture kind of, you know, this is where they felt, right? they got the giants, and you're there. W- w- what's going to happen? It, there's a lot of questions that people ask me along the way about what we're doing and, and why. And, boy, it seems like um, a lot. We're going to build a $12 million campus in New Linux. Why, why are we doing this multi-site thing? And I'll tell you why. really simple. Uh, really brought home to me. A couple of weeks ago, I was with... Uh, Craig Rochelle, who is the pastor of the largest church in North America that you probably don't even know about. It's called Life Church. It's not Joel Osteen. Joel Osteen's got a big auditorium that he fills up once. Life Church had 88,000 people the weekend before I was with Craig. 88,000 people in one church. I'm talking about butts and seats. That's how many people that they had in 25 different locations throughout Oklahoma, and they just opened one in Kansas City and different places along the way. It's a different world than, than we used to live in. In 1997, when, I raised, when we raised funds to come over here and, and to come into Orland, I was like, we got to get everything back together because we had offices off-site and everything was different. But it's a different world now. It really is. Video teaching, you know, it's working. Why, why would we use it? I mean, wh- why do we do this? It's because it enables us to be able to multiply over and over again. I had an uncle who uh, lost his voice preaching. I just talked to him a couple of weeks ago. I mean, he literally had to go to Mayo and get shots in his vocal cords so that he could speak at all at the end of his career. I've been told that I should only be preaching three or four times a weekend if I want to do this long term. So you see video services, and you see them at the 1030 service most of the time. Why is that? Because it works. You're still here, right? And you're watching me on the screen right now, aren't you. Hey! Hey! Right? It's way better up there anyway, right? And video teaching works. We've been using it on Sunday night. We've been using it at different venues. We've been using it at Lockport for years, and we're using it at Homer right now, and it's working really well. And here's the deal about, about, about sermons. You don't know. It takes 25 or 30 hours out of my week or Casey's week or Todd's week to get a sermon ready and and to preach it. And that's a big chunk of time. It's not good stewardship for us to have to do that with somebody else. And besides, do you really want to hear Pastor Richie preach in New Linux? Dude, so like Jesus. Jesus was the Son of God. Excellent. Come on, Richie, Richie is a monster leader. He is a great recruiter. He is, he is a person that a lot of people are going to follow. But if we make that guy get up and preach, it's not going to go well for him or you. Okay? <laughs> on the other hand, what if we have somebody that can preach and, and comes along the way and comes in our system, like perhaps Brian Hunt, who I just talked to this week, whose church in California that he moved to because we released him? has grown by 600 people in the the year that he's been there. Isn't that awesome? I'm so excited. It, It works. It's a different world that we live in, and that's what we're going to do. Now, notice how differently they handled this, okay? Joshua and Caleb handled their fears by confronting them and looking to God, okay? The ten spies handled their fear by panicking and spreading fear among the people. We can decide how we want to do. Is it faith going to be greater or is our fear going to be greater? That's what we're talking about. Listen to what it says. That night the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. And all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in the desert. And they said to each other, We should choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. You see this? Do you remember what they were in Egypt? They were slaves, for crying out loud. They they worked for a crazy Pharaoh. They they were so afraid that they thought it would be better for them to be back in Egypt than to have faith and go forward with God. Joshua and Caleb had the same fears. They just saw a bigger God. So we focus on the vision and not the obstacle. Second, we confront our fears and we don't run. I mean, I think this is okay. I mean, if they're giants, are there some giants in front of us? I think we have to be realistic. There are giants in front of us, like the economy. When we did this in 2011, even 2006, we were kind of right on the edge of it. In 2011, we were in the middle of a bad economy. And you know what we're all thinking right now? What if fill-in-the-blank gets elected president? Right? Right? And I don't really care who you fill the blank in with at this point. We're all pretty stinking nervous about what's going to happen, right? I mean, it doesn't really matter. How how, how do we know? Here's what the Bible says. This is important. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. I love that. Like, oh, it's going to be windy today. I'm not going to plant. Well, you're never going to plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. You don't know the path of the wind. You don't know how, a body, how the baby is formed in a mother's womb. You cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. So if God tells you to do something, go do it. Corey Ten Boom said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. So who knows? There's also the leadership giant. That's, that's like about me. That's about us. What if the leaders fall? What if I die? What if I have an affair? Then I die. Same thing. doesn't matter. (laughs) Have you met my wife? I'm like, come on. What if someone steals money from the church? What if one of the elders is arrested? What if we find out that Lonnie's on crack and that's why he's happy all the time? (laughs) You know what? You can never know. We never know. I can never know. But here's what I can tell you. Our elders and our staff have stuck it out here for a really long time. And they have seen us through a lot of things to get us here. And as for me, I've been here 26 years. At some point, you got to go, maybe he's going to stay around. And I plan to be here 40, okay? I'm getting old, and I might need the push-up chair. But I'd I'd like to make it till I'm 68, you guys. That's what I want to do. And God has prepared us for such a time as this. And our marriage is strong. And our family is strong. Thank you. I just had a vision of me at 68 preaching. I don't know if that's a good idea, but whatever. And yes, my grandkids all live far away, okay? But, but we make it work. It means I'm gone a lot, um, but I'm pretty good at multitasking. We felt a strong sense of God, call of God to this place 26 years ago. And it will take a strong sense of leading from God to get us to move. And there are other places I'd rather live, okay? I don't know if you know this, but Illinois is the number one state people are moving out of. Do you know that? And recently... Who's clapping? Are you from Indiana? <laughs> Did you already move to Indiana? Thank you. Thanks for rubbing it in. And 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 just recently within the last couple of weeks Chicago overtook Detroit as the number one city people are moving away from, also. We're number one. We're number one. Come on, everybody with me. Uh, Honestly, though, it feels to me like while everybody else is running away, while all the rats are abandoning ship, that's the time for the church to be running in. That's the mission field to which we've been called to the million people that live within 10 miles, the 4 million people that are within a 30-minute drive time of one of our campuses. That's what I think we're supposed to be doing. But you know, as much confidence as I have in the staff and the leadership, uh, your faith shouldn't be in us or them. It should be in Jesus. It's his church. We're his people. It will carry on, okay? When Moses died, they mourned for 40 days, and then Joshua took over, and they marched into the promised land that they choked on in this passage and, and overtook Jericho and they moved in and everything was great. So when I die, I would like for you to mourn for 41 days because I'm kind of competitive, okay? <laughs> but if this church does not continue to reach more people after I'm gone, I will come back here and haunt you, I promise. <laughs> There's one more thing, and I call it the bricks giant. Um You know, why do we spend money on bricks when we could be feeding the hungry? People say that. Matter of fact, people said that in 1997 when we raised a million dollars with 300 people in average attendance, which, by the way, if you do the math, our $35 million goal with seven to 10,000 people we have here on a weekend, uh, and you add the fact that we're in 2016 and not in 1997, um, really should be a lot easier for us to do this. But people said, we could give this money to missions, and that's true, but if we would have given all that money away, we wouldn't have relocated, and you wouldn't be here. And, and, and I'm pretty sure the church wouldn't even be here. And we now give that much money away every year because we've grown and we've reached people. And, and I get it, you know. I mean, we could take all this money and go give it away to feed the poor. And Richie could go start a campus in a moldy basement with a karaoke machine. But, but God didn't call the church to feed the poor. He called Christians to feed the poor. So the more Christians I have, the easier and more effective it will be. When I moved here, the percentage of money that we gave from what came in out to outreach, to missions and to the poor, and to the people who needed it, we gave m- twice as much percentage-wise money when I got here as we do now. You know why? Because the building was paid for and the church wasn't doing anything. And so we, we, we needed to give more money to somebody who was now we give less of a percentage, but 50 times, five zero times more money. So if you're a missionary in Africa, would you like a percentage or would you like money? It's a multiplication process. We have the biggest army at the wor- in the world available to us, and my job is to lead them. And by the way, since 1997... Planted 24 churches in Indonesia, nine in Kenya, one in Taiwan, one in the Czech Republic, one in Mexico, 20 in Brazil, one in Ireland, Cuba, uh, innumerable house churches. Ecuador, one. Chicago, with some other churches, uh, we planted uh, one in downtown Chicago, one in Salt Lake City, one in Ventura, California, where my daughter and son-in-law are on staff, two in New York City, and one in Kansas City. That's all happened while we've also been reaching our community, because we believe in in the mission everywhere. And I believe the mission of the South Suburbs is just as important as a mission in, in downtown Chicago or in New York City, and I believe that's just as important as Malawi. It's just as holy to use dollars to plant a campus in Homer Glen or New Lenox to help somebody find Jesus or heal a marriage or become a disciple or whatever. And and listen, I love philanthropy. I I would love for us to cure breast cancer and AIDS and world hunger. But that's not the real problem. The real problem is separation from Jesus. A church has to be about those things and bring heaven to earth, but someday we're all going to be done. And then it's all about earth to heaven. We're in the soul business. Jesus said, what does what it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? We're in the soul business. Imagine with me, you're, um, you're in a, one of those time warp movies, okay, and you get to go back to S- Southampton, England mid-April 2012. And, and you, you wake up and you look and you see the newspaper heading Titanic to set sail on maiden voyage today. What are you going to do? I think most of us would run down to the harbor, we'd run down to the shore, and we'd start trying to persuade people not to get on that boat. Don't get on that boat. We know what's going to happen. Don't get on that boat. Rose, you're okay. But everybody else, no, don't. I've seen the movie. This is not going to turn out well for you, right? And what are they going to say back to you? What did they say? They said, even God can't sink this ship. That's what they said about the Titanic. And you would watch as this ill-fated vessel toured away from the shore and motored away from the shore knowing that 1,500 people were going to die. So then what would you do? Well, if you cared at all, you would go find a boat. You would rent a boat. You would borrow a boat. I would steal a boat. What size of a boat? A little motorboat. I would go find the biggest yacht I could possibly find, and I would somehow persuade somebody to let me take that out there, and I would try to get everybody else to get boats too to go out there because I know the bigger boat I have, the more people I can save. I would risk everything knowing that lives were in the balance. And if it's true that man's sin has separated him from God for eternity, and if it's true that Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth to die for sin, and if it's true that only through Christ can we have forgiveness of sin and hope of eternal life, then the task of bringing people to Jesus is the highest mission that we could possibly have. That's why we do what we do. Our hope is in Jesus, and we really believe that that is true. So we're going to do everything we can to persuade as many people as possible to come to Jesus while we have time. And if somebody asks me why are we building another building, I'll say because the ship is sinking and we need to get a place where people can be rescued. And we call this a one fund approach when we're doing this because I don't want to separate it out and say, well, we've got a building fund over here, and we got all this other stuff over here. Because the truth is, everything that we're going to do over the next two years is a part of Daring Faith. When Doreen or Chris or Joyce answer the phone, and they get someone in touch with someone who can help them, volunteer or staff, doesn't matter, that's the gospel. One of our pastors is ministering to somebody in a hospital, that's the gospel. One of our Stephen ministers is counseling somebody, that's the gospel. But you know what? When we rent a bus and take a bunch of kids to CIY conference, that's also the gospel. And, and when your kids get taught the gospel by a volunteer who is trained by somebody that we pay so that they can have time to be able to train those volunteers, that's the gospel. And when we make a parking space for your brother-in-law to be able to find a place to park at Christmas Eve, that is the gospel. And we add seats. It doesn't matter whether it's Jerusalem or Judea, Samaria, or the ends of the earth. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And I know that people don't have to come to church to find Jesus. I get that. But some of them will, and there's a bunch of them around. So we're going to continue to add seats to the lifeboat. I don't know why we think that sometimes what we do in the inner city in Englewood or what we do in the DR or Africa is somehow more gospelly than what we're doing in Mokina or Plainfield. Do you know that we have baptized over 4,000 people since 2011, the last time we did an initiative? 4,000 people. That's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. Lost is lost. It doesn't matter. Okay, I'll wrap it up. Trust the power of God, not man. This is what's really important. So basically, God says to the people, all right, you, your bodies are going to fall in, you guys didn't have faith. Your faith was less than your fear. So you're going to fall in the desert. Your children will be stuck here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness, until the last of your bodies lies in the desert. You've got to be all gone for 40 years, one year for every of the days you explored the land and had no faith. You will suffer for, their sin, for your sins, and you will know what it is like to have me against you. That's scary. 80% of the churches in the U.S. stagged under decline, haven't won a single convert. Nine churches literally closing every day. What's happening? Well, Listen, I mean, there's a life cycle. Part of you won't be here forever. You know, there, there are other reasons. But for a lot of them, along the way, they took their focus off of God and off of the people that were lost on the beach and they turned it on to themselves. Forty years later, Moses dies, Joshua takes over. They march into Jericho. And here's what God asked him to do. It's so funny. God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to march once a day. I want you to march around Jericho, around the walls. These are big fortified walls. There's no way they're getting into this city. March around it once a day for seven days. On the seventh day, march around it seven times. And on the seventh time around, I want you to shout and blow your trumpets. <laughs> You'd love to have been in that crowd. What? Yeah, that's all I want you to do. Remember, we talked about name and we talked about this whole obedience thing. They did it. And you know what God did? He said, okay, you people have daring faith. Boom. And he knocked down the walls of Jericho. And they went in and took the city. And they took the promised land because that's who God is. See, the, the ten spies saw giants and measured that against themselves. They called them grasshoppers. It was giants versus grasshoppers, and that's an unfair game because there's going to be grasshopper guts everywhere. We understand that, right? But Joshua and Caleb said, well, what if it's giants versus God? That's also unfair. What is a giant compared to God? We're going to, in two weeks, I'd like for you to take this commitment card out. It's in the chair back in front of you. We're not going to fill it out today, so don't get nervous. I just want to walk you through it so that you can see it. Commitment card looks like this. It's in the chair back in front of you. I want you to look at it. Look up at the screen. I'll explain to you what we're doing. In two weeks, April 30th, May 1st weekend, we'll be turning these in. If you're not going to be here, do it ahead of time. That'd be great. But if you're going to be here, don't, 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 don't do this now. I want you to pray about it. And I just want to explain it so that you understand what we're talking about. Up in the left-hand corner at the top is what do we normally give in a year? For some of you, it's nothing. And this will be an opportunity for you to say, okay, we're in. We're going to do something here. We're going to have some daring faith. But put down what you would normally give in a year. Whatever it is, $500, $50,000, whatever it is. You just did your taxes. You know what it is, okay? Put that down, and we're going to normally do that. Now, the next line is what if I had daring faith? What if I believed in a God who was able to provide everything, and I let him control it all, and I let him do it? What, what, What if I said okay, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to do some things different in my life so that we can give more. Put the total down there and then you take it over because it's a two-year thing. This is not like you got to write a check today. This is a two-year thing. What is God going to do over two years? And then there's a line added there for, you know, oh, I forgot. i got a boat sitting around I never use or cub paraphernalia or whatever. Somebody's still paying for that stuff. You know, I'm going to sell it. I'm, 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 what other things are there? It doesn't matter how you come up with it. That's just your worksheet part. And then that gray line there, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm going to write down. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to ask God to let me do this over the next two years. And we're going to see what happens. And I want you to go pray about it. That's, that, that's the most important thing. And I want you to believe in a great big God who can do immeasurably more than all you ask or imagine. John Hartberg is a writer, pastor. He wrote, one day I was walking with a few friends in Newport Beach, and we were walking down the, just walking down the road, and, and all of a sudden a fight spilled out of a bar onto the sidewalk, like a Western movie, he said, and it was three guys against one, and they're beating this guy up. And so me and my, my friend decided, you know, we've got to go do something, we've got to go break it up. So we went over there, you know, to tell these guys to knock it off. And I said, breaking up drunken brawls is not a strong area of spiritual passion or competence for me. But somebody had to do something, so we got out of the boat. This is from his book. If you want to walk on water, you got to get out of the boat. We spoke prophetically to them. And then I waited for my first fist fight in a really long time. However, the thugs looked at us and suddenly, with fear in their eyes, started to slink away. Caught me by surprise so much so that I almost stopped them to say, why are you running away? Then I looked behind me, and there I saw one of the biggest guys I've ever seen in my life. He was apparently employed as a bouncer at the bar, and suddenly I gained a great deal of respect for that profession. I would guess the man stood about six foot seven and weighed 250 pounds or so with perhaps 2% body fat. If Hercules had married Zena the warrior princess, this would have been their love child. We called him Mongo. Not to his face, we just called him Mongo. Mongo did not say a word, he just stood there with muscles bulging. He looked as if he hoped they would try to take him on. This was evidently an area of massive, breathtaking competence for him. Breaking up fights was his spiritual gift. In that moment, my attitude was transformed, and I yelled, you better not catch us, let us catch you hanging around here ever again. We were different people because we had a great, big mongo. I was ready to confront. I was filled with boldness and confidence. I was released from anxiety and fear. I was ready to serve someone who needed help. Why? Because mongo had passed by. I had experienced a mongophany. I was convinced that I was not alone, and the middle of a barroom brawl was a perfectly safe place for me to be. If I were convinced that Mongo were with me 24 hours a day, John wrote, seven days a week, I would probably also have a fundamentally different approach to life. Of course he's not. I can't go around with Mongo beside me all the time, and it's probably a good thing because I don't need him. I have one who is greater than Mongo with me at all times, who says, take courage, who says, I am, who says, do not be afraid. I believe that. It's part of my creed. I've committed my life to teaching others about it. Yet all too often, my life does not reflect it. All too often, I shrink back when I should confront. I worry when I should pray. I cling when I should generously share. I stay in the boat when I could walk on water. Lord, I just want to pray that you'd be with us in this daring faith. I'm excited about the fifth time that I've been challenged and I'm excited about what's going to happen around here. But what I'm really excited about are the hands that I will see raised somewhere in the future of the lives of people that were affected for eternity because we stepped out in daring faith. We're trying to go viral here, Lord. We're trying to continue to multiply, to continue to reach and raise and release. We pray for your peace and your guidance and for a daring faith inside of us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.